everyone. Thanks, Leslie, for doing our reading as well as the rest of worship. And greetings now from my living room after a long day of playing in the snow with Alice. And it's so great to see you all or be seen by you all. Uh, my first sermon back in the saddle after a two-month sabbatical. I can't wait to tell you all about it. I promise the sermon won't be totally about it, but you know it's going to be a lot about it. Um, but most of all, thank you for making that sabbatical possible. It was uh, very fun and helpful in, in so many ways. Um, lots of things I could tell you about it, but the one thing you all keep asking me is, did I learn how to play sheep's head? You guys are so funny. When I shared the whole learning plan for the sabbatical before I left, what was the one thing people most wanted to talk about? Was it the theological books I was going to read? No. Was it the facilitation training I was going to receive? No. Was it the field trips to other houses of worship I was going to take? No. Everyone wanted to talk about Sheep's Head, which if you don't know, Sheep's Head is a very obscure and very complicated card game that is only played by Germans who live in Wisconsin and like particularly this part of Wisconsin. So yes, I did learn to play Sheep's Head during sabbatical, but let me tell you, it was not easy. First of all, not easy to play. For one thing, like what kind of game makes the 10 higher than the king? And as it turned out, it was not easy to find someone outside of our congregation to teach me. So here is how I ended up spending the Wednesdays of my sabbatical at the Bavarian Beer House in Glendale with a bunch of crotchety German men. Now, the only reason I had said I would learn Sheep's Head in the first place is because I had seen a notice that there was a weekly sheep's head game at the community center around the corner from my house. So I thought, awesome, that's perfect, that's great, it'll be fun, I can walk over there once a week, play cards, meet some neighbors, great. But on the first week of my sabbatical when I walked over there, I found out that they were taking a six week break for the holidays. That wasn't gonna work. I would have happily bailed at that point, except that so many of you had talked to me about Sheepshead before I left that I knew there was no way I could show my face here again without having learned this game. So I turned to the internet, right? Google sheepshead.org. It lists all the regular games. They all are within like 60 miles of here, by the way. Closest one is St. Francis. It says, call Bill. So I call Bill. Oh, he says, we stopped playing ages ago, but I'm glad you're called. You sound young. We need more young people to play this game. Tell you what, there's a group that plays at the Elite Gym in Mequon every Monday. Go to the Elite Gym and ask them to teach you. Okay, Monday I drive to the Elite Gym. Turns out you have to be a member of the Elite Gym to play cards at the Elite Gym. But they say try contacting the group leader. His name is Dennis. Okay, do you have a contact information for him? No. Uh, do you know his last name? No, but I think he teaches at Cardinal Stritch. Okay, Google, faculty Cardinal Stritch, Dennis Sturrell, adjunct faculty, email his work email, hear nothing. But the gym guys say, well, you know, they play Sheep's Head every Thursday at Brewski's Pub on Blue Mound. They play for like big money though. I don't know how they'd feel about beginners, but tell you what, go around 3.30 and ask for Mary. She's the one with the vet hat and all of that tattoos. Tell her that we sent you and you want to learn sheep's head and maybe, maybe she'll let you watch at least. So I'm trying to like get up my nerve to go to this random bar and find Mary, the tattooed vet. 
um, when I get this call on my phone from an unknown number and to, and I answer, it says, hi, this is Pat, Patrick Packard. Dennis told me you were looking for someone to teach you sheep said. I, I looked you up on the internet and I see you are a real person. I've never taught anyone before, but my wife says I should do this, so I guess I could try and teach you. Oh, and just so you know, like, I'm, I'm not a bad dude. I'm a retired cop. I'm on the council at my church. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all above board. But if you want to give it a shot, uh, do it. And that's how I met Pat. He gave me lessons at his house, playing five-handed face-up dummy rounds. Um, and every time I showed up, he'd have these printouts of rules and strategies for me. And after a couple rounds, he said, the guys in his sheep said league said I could come play with them if I didn't talk too much and if I brought money and if I would pay up no matter how much money they took off me. So that's how I ended up spending the Wednesdays of my sabbatical at the Bavarian Beer House with these guys. They, um, they eat dinner at four, first hand at five, play till nine. The last 30 minutes are all doublers. They do this every week and they have for like 40 years and they are serious about their sheep's head. They thawed out a tiny bit when, when that first night I pulled out a bag of 160 nickels and dropped them right in the middle of the table. And, and it turns out they do talk, just only about cards, but, but there's lots of heckling and teasing. They're very fun. And um, they even let me take their picture on the last night, which they refused like the previous five times. Um, and Sheepshead itself is, is super fun, but I was definitely, you know, outside my social norm with this, this crew. Now, so that my sermon isn't just me telling you all the most random parts of my sabbatical, I promise I will come up with a brilliant tie between Sheepshead and the scripture in approximately eight minutes, but we're going to need some time to set it up first. So the scripture, let's dive in. How does this passage start? What are the very first words? Six days later. What does that tell us? It tells us that this story is tied to the story that comes before it. What happened six days ago? Six days ago was the first time that Jesus told his disciples he is going to be killed. And why six days later specifically does this story take place? Details like that in the Bible usually have less to do with trying to capture a historically accurate chronology um, and they're more because they're trying to tell us something about the significance of the moment they are describing. So the sixth day, what does that mean to us? Think back to the creation story. What happens on the sixth day in the creation story? That's the final day God creates stuff, right? That's the day that God first makes people, among other things. And by the end of the sixth day, creation is finally complete. And then on the seventh day, God rests. And which is the sixth day of the week in Bible times? It's Friday, right? Sunday's the first day. You finish the work on Friday. You rest on Saturday, the Sabbath. You start again on Sunday. Okay, so the sixth day is Friday. Now think forward to Holy Week. What happens on Friday? It's the cross. That's the day God's work of redemption is complete. So at this point, we are only three words into the story, but we already know that what is about to happen will have some kind of connection to the completion of creation and some kind of connection to the cross. The geography of this story, also just as important as the chronology. Because where are they when this happens? Up on a mountain, right? And just, just think through big picture for a minute. 
there are a lot of elevation changes in the story of our faith, right? Sermon on the Mount, beautiful words of encouragement, then down to be with people who are outcast and sick and desperate. Or right before the story, Jesus predicts his death, yells at Peter, get behind me, Satan. Then this mountaintop, God, heroes, up. Or think of Holy Week, Last Supper, fellowship, meal, love one another, crucifixion, dies. Resurrection, raised, ascension, he leaves them all behind. Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes after the Pentecost, trials and persecution for those early Christians. And the seasons of our church year, they follow those elevation changes too, right? Advent, the world is a mess. Then Christmas, Epiphany, Christ is born. Lent and Holy Week, we're a mess. Then Easter, new life, celebrate. And the beauty, of course, in these rhythms is that it's all just like life, right? Elevation changes, ups and downs, seasons. Whatever is happening right now is temporary, and eventually it all comes back around again. Here's one of the things I figured out on sabbatical, and, and when I say this, you're gonna be very unimpressed, and you're gonna probably raise your eyebrows and say like, well, yeah, because this is something most of you already have figured out years ago, but for me, it took a sabbatical to figure it out, and it's this. Life is not like climbing up a mountain. We are not getting closer and closer to the top. That's it. All my life, I have been haunted by this sense that I'm like almost but not quite there. And I don't know where there is exactly, but you know, like the point where you finally, you arrive, you get it. You're where you wanna be and who you wanna be with the life that you wanna have. You, you figured it out. Um, because I definitely don't have it all figured out. But when things are going pretty well, I feel like like maybe I might be close to figuring it out. And and that fact, the fact that it feels so close, it gives me this, this illusion of attainability, of, of control. Like surely I can get there if I just try a little bit harder, if I can be a little bit more efficient, a little bit more organized, a little bit more centered, then surely I can make it to the top of the mountain. And mostly what I think, honestly, is, is if I just had a little bit more time, if I just had more time then, then I could do it all. And then I got two months off. Two whole glorious months where I was still paid and the kids still went to daycare and I had the freedom and funding to do all the things that I always beat myself up for not getting to. And yet there I was on December 19th crying in the car outside the airport post office at 10 p.m. at night because I had just missed the last call mailing for the Deliver by Christmas deadline. Just like every other year. The problem with thinking that life is like a mountain is that every difficulty we encounter makes it feel like we've gotten further from our goal. But what if there is no goal? What if there's just God and our God is the God of both of the mountains and of the valleys. It should not have taken me a sabbatical to learn this, you guys. This is really basic stuff. This is the story of our faith. Not a mountain, but a whole range of mountains. Not just life, but life, death, resurrection, repeat. Thanks be to God. Even if all our faith did was acknowledge those ups and downs, even if all it did was like lovingly burst our bubble of thinking that we by our own power can one day make it, if that was all faith did, that in itself would be a huge and freeing gift. But it does so much more than that. During those mountaintop moments, 
Our faith gives us tools, gives us treasures to carry with us through the valleys. Sometimes tools that carry us through the valleys. Everything comes back around. And this is what happens, you guys. This is why we show up for worship online or in the pews. When we do that, we make this space for the Holy Spirit to move in it and give us, give us what we need for what lies ahead. It will happen today. God will give you something that you need. So what is it? What does God want you to have and to hold on to to get through your next season? I, maybe it's communion. Maybe it's just the awareness of other people around you doing this with you. Maybe it's just the chance to close your eyes and just be silent for a minute. Maybe it's something from this passage. For me, it's when the voice of God speaks over Jesus. This is my child, my beloved. I am well pleased with him. Do those words sound familiar? They should. They are essentially the same words that God says over the people on the sixth day of creation when God says they are made in our image and they are good. And these words are exactly the same words that God says over Jesus down in the valley when he's baptized in the Jordan and begins his ministry. And you know, you know these will be the words God prays over Jesus as he dies on that cross. Even as God's own heart is breaking, broken by a love that is so powerful, God decides to defeat death forever for everyone. So back to sheep's head. <laughs> that was one of the two most random parts of my sabbatical, these weekly trips to the beer hall with these old serious German men playing this very methodical calculating game. On the other end of the sabbatical spectrum, I also took, and I'm actually still finishing up, these improv classes at a theater club called Comedy Sports, which improvs like where you make up these skits together on the spot with no plan and just react off each other. And, and all my classmates at Comedy Sports are like these young, hip, creative culture people, like total opposite from Sheep said, right? Total opposite. By the way, you are all invited to my improv classes showcase performance, which is Thursday, March 2nd, 7.30 p.m. Comedy Sports Milwaukee. It's free and you should all come and heckle. But anyways, Sheep said, the German guys, comedy sports improv, these young hip people. Okay, on the last day with the Sheep said crew, we ate dinner together at the Bavarian Beer Hall before playing. Brats for dinner, 4 p.m. And as we're finishing up, Patrick asks me, so what else did you do for your sabbatical? And aware that I'm like culturally leagues away from comedy sports and he probably has never even heard of improv I say oh well there's like this place called comedy sports and we do this thing called improv and Patrick actually stops eating puts down his fork looks at me strangely and says no kidding my son Jack is the comedy sports MC <laughs> everything comes back around including sheep's head, including Jesus, including you.